Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 117 of the Tick Boot Camp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Dancer's Dilemma, an interview with Marin Lotte von Merian Bohr. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Matt, Marin is one of our international guests from the Netherlands, and she was an elite athlete and accepted into a Dutch dance academy, and then she crashed. And after she crashed, she still couldn't get a diagnosis for what was causing this once elite athlete not to be able to perform at the level they expected her to at her dance academy. So Rich, what really bothers me about Modern's story is that her doctors kept telling her the problem was between her ears. And this delayed her Lyme diagnosis, causing severe neurological, cardiac, and full body symptoms for Modern. Once she was finally diagnosed, she tried something called biophotons coherence therapy, which is basically light energy that neutralizes the cells and virus and bacteria that are causing you to be sick. She didn't have success with this, but then moved on to treat with the medical medium and did things like using heavy metal detox smoothies every day and has made significant progress in starting this protocol. Hi, Martin, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for inviting me. Uh, we're really excited to have you. You know, you're our second Dutch gal that we've had on the podcast. Oh, really? That's great. So, Martin, can you share with us where you're from? I'm from Utrecht in the Netherlands. And what do you do in the Netherlands? Well, right now I'm at home healing from Lyme disease. But before that, I was studying and working and traveling and doing all kinds of stuff. <laughs> so let's Very talk busy. <laughs> so, Martin, let's talk about where you grew up. Where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Um, well, I'm actually at my parents' home right now after six months for the first time since Corona. Um, I grew up down in the Netherlands. It's called, the province is called Brabant. And I actually grew up with my whole family and my cousins and my aunts. And we were always there together. We grew up together. Uh, it was actually very loving. Uh, yeah, I have nothing to complain about that. So now during your childhood, did you know anything about ticks and tick diseases? I knew ticks were bad, but I didn't know anything about, no, I didn't know a lot about tick diseases, especially not about Lyme. Okay. So tell us how you learned about ticks and how you learned that they were bad. I've, yeah, I think I've learned it through the years, but also through my ex-boyfriend. He had Lyme disease and he knew about the ticks and he actually had it through a tick. And I've learned from him that you could, uh, could get Lyme disease from the ticks. And well, that actually a lot of diseases came out of yeah, ticks, bugs and everything surrounding that. But let's walk back to your childhood. During your childhood, you received some information from some source about ticks and tick diseases. So what was the yeah. source of the information that you had and what specifically were you taught to do to avoid ticks and tick diseases? Um, well, I've learned if you always should check when you came out of the woods or like grass and everything. And that if you were going like, like later on going through the woods or the jungle that you should wear clothes that, um, will protect you from the bites and everything. And after, of course, yeah, double check if you didn't have any on you. That's what so you, I've learned. So, so and, and I'm not asking you what you've learned now. I'm asking you what you knew before you had Lyme disease and before you discovered you had the tick diseases. During your childhood, were you given any information that would have helped you to protect yourself from getting the disease that you ultimately did 
uh, get diagnosed with? Um, not especially from Lyme, but we knew that if we had a tick, we immediately should go to our parents and they should check us and that we have to research the tick. We, we did know that. We knew a tick was bad. That's what oh. we knew. <laughs> okay, good. So talk to us about what it is that you desired to do when you moved into your adult life, meaning what were you dream about, dreaming about doing as you were growing up? Um, well, what I actually dreamed of, um, how do I explain that? Well, I really love going to the theater. It's just when I go into the theater and you go into the story of the show and they take you with it and when you come out, you have just refresh new energy. You forget all your troubles for a little bit. That's what I want to do. So I actually went to the dance academy. I did most of the work, but then I had yeah, Lyme disease. But that was my, my biggest desire was not getting famous or anything. It was just, well, getting people to just come out of the source for a little bit and forget them and just go out of the theater with new energy and just, feel like, okay, I, I can actually do this. I, I'm, I'm recharged. That's what so, I wanted to do. So it was your dream to become a storyteller through the theater arts? Yeah, maybe a little bit, if you phrase it like that. Yeah, I think so. So talk to us about the types of things you were doing to prepare yourself to move into the theatrical arts. I was having singing lessons. I was doing ballet class. I was doing musical theater classes. There was also including like dancing with also um, acting and also singing. From pre-field, we were actually in the field and then afterwards you would do a show. And um, yeah, I also did a lot of sports and we had a lot of presentation at school. So that's actually very good if you want to do theater. So yeah, actually those kind of things. Okay. A lot of lessons. And it sounds like it. And, and were you enjoying yourself while you were taking these various lessons and educational courses in the, in the theatrical arena? Yes, I was always extremely nervous. I had a lot of anxiety uh, with that because I was always super uncomfortable. But after that, I did it. I always feel so great. And I just, yeah, I love it. So as you were but going I, I was, there were a lot of barriers to overcome. <laughs> And, and, and I think with any dream, there are barriers to overcome. And, 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 oh, yeah. as, and as you were going through this process of developing the skills you needed to become a theatrical professional, yeah. when did you first start, a, start to see the symptoms of your tick disease? That was in, whew, that was in 2014. I think that was my second year at Dance Academy. At one point, I was just getting extremely tired, and I, like later on, I couldn't move my muscles anymore how I wanted to, and that's when, uh, um, yeah, actually, already when I was extremely tired, I was like, okay, maybe something is wrong there, but we didn't think immediately about a disease or something, because a lot of people get a kissing disease, and they are tired for a little bit, and then they get better. And my mom was like, I always slept quite late. So she was like, maybe go sleeping earlier before we go to the doctor. So yeah, I think my second year uh, of the dance academy. So let's talk about the dance academy. What did you have to do to apply for the dance academy? And was it difficult for you to gain acceptance into the dance academy? 
Uh, well, what you have to do, um, you have to have some experience because you have to do an audition. I didn't have that much experience, to be honest. I still am amazed that I got in. But um, yeah, I took some ballet classes for the technical. And uh, I did already throughout the years, I did different kinds of dancing at like a local sports and everything. And then you get to go out to go audition. And then you most of the time have like three stages and they tell you if you go through and then go through. And at the end, most of the time you have to do a solo dance. And then you hear if you actually get accepted or not. And most of the time you still have a test for to show if you can actually handle the education. So you completed the rigorous application process and you got accepted into the dance academy and you were on your yeah. way to your theatrical career. Yeah, exactly. How did, how did you feel and how did your family feel when you were accepted into the dance academy? Oh, they were so happy. They were so happy. Actually, the year before I tried, but um, I was just, I wasn't prepared really. And I was at one school, I was almost in, but because of myself, I threw myself out. <laughs> so it was kind of a little clumsy there. But no, they were very proud, they were very happy, and they were so supportive. And yeah, that was, that was really nice. Talk to us about how your experience in the Dance Academy went during your first year as a student. Um, that's a good question. Well, at first I was very excited. So the first weeks were going quite well. But after that, my knee uh, injury was acting up again. So also in the first year already, I had to like sit aside at, the, at some lessons and have to, had to watch. So it was actually going, in the start it was going great, but it was going downhill after a few weeks. Okay. Really. And yeah. that was related to an injury that you had suffered to your knee. Yeah, exactly. So talk to us about how things started to change as you went into your second year at the Dance Academy after recovering from your knee injury and getting back into um, the Dance Academy. Well, that was actually going great. I actually had a um, conversation as well with my teachers and they were so happy because I had to do my first year again because it was going backwards pretty quick and I just wasn't growing how it should be. And I worked my butt off, but they still wanted me to do the first year again. And actually were very happy that I was doing that because it was going way better. And well, they saw the progress and everything. And then, yeah, at some point it was going downhill again. It was. Now how how is it different the second time you tried to go through your first year at the dance academy than it was the first time when you suffered your knee injury um well the first thing that was extremely different was um the vibe at the school at first it was very tense i actually had stomach aches about going to the ballet classes it was you didn't like of course you at the bar and you have to keep your arm up but you let is most times take two hours but you didn't dare to take your arm down for a second because she was so, so strict. And, and I, now, right now, I'm thankful to her. But I, I, oh, I had like stomach aches already in the weekend before Monday. And that was very intense. That was in the first year. In the second year, that was way more loose. They were working on mindset and 
how you can use that also through going through the dance classes and the world you go were going to work in. So the vibe was totally different. What was very good for me because I wasn't really working on the first one. <laughs> that was enough for me. And yeah, yeah, I think the knee injury, I knew what was going on. And when I was getting extremely tired, I didn't know what was going on. So it was more insecure. I think that's the right thing to say about that. So you started to get tired and you were not able to perform at a high level, but you didn't know why. Exactly. Yeah. Now, at that time, did you have any suspicion that perhaps you had a tick disease? No, no, none. So how did your symptoms begin to develop from that point where you were tired all the time when you were at the dance academy forward? Sorry, can you repeat that one? How did your symptoms, which started with you being tired and unable to perform at a high level at the dance academy, how did that change and how did it impact your ability to perform at the dance academy? Um, well, yeah, obviously I didn't have the energy really. So at one point they uh, renewed my schedule. So I had to do less classes and, um, so I can recover more and I was more at home. So that was, I was missing out actually. And I, yeah, I was feeling it in my muscles. I, I was feeling that I couldn't control it fully and they weren't doing really what I wanted them to do. So I felt I was failing a lot. It was, um, it was quite a hard time. I have to say, I just, I, I just constantly felt I was failing. I was not good enough. And I also felt that, and yeah, I couldn't do this. And I, at one point I didn't even want to do it anymore because I, I, I wasn't able to. So all the, the, the love for the dance was yeah, fading away in all those years. So how are your family reacting to your now failing out of the dance academy? They were very excited about you getting into the dance academy. How are they yeah. reacting to your now failing to perform at a high level at the dance academy? Well, they were actually way more laughing than I was for myself. <laughs> I mm. still am. Um, for me, it was felt like a failure. I also wanted to prove to everyone that I actually could do it. And now I couldn't because I had to drop out at one point. I had to choose between myself or a diploma. And I had to, yeah, of course, obviously I, okay, but <laughs> Okay. Um, no. Um, where was I? You said, you said that you had to choose between your health and, oh. and a diploma and you chose your health. Yeah, so I had to choose between, at one point I had to choose between my health or my diploma and I choose my health because I was totally fading away as a person as well. And my parents saw that they saw me struggle and everybody surrounding me saw me struggle. And no, I don't think anyone sees me as a failure, but the only person that sees me as a failure is me because it was a dream and I wanted to show people that I could do it. And yeah, for me, it, it was really hard. It was a very hard decision as well. I think I didn't know what I was going to do at, on the minute, really. But now they were so loving and they supported me and they saw I wasn't going anymore. And they always tell me, you did everything you could to make it happen and you just couldn't anymore. You were, you were done. So Martin, what did you do 
after you left the dance academy? Um, after I left the dance academy, I had a few weeks off. And then I was going to travel to Thailand, backpacking with my cousin, for three, three and a half weeks. Three and a half weeks. And so I did that. And I sometimes got sick during the trip. Now, probably knowing why. I didn't know back then. And uh, after that, I actually found a job as a waitress in Amsterdam. So let's talk about the trip. Um, you now were not feeling good about yourself because you had fell out of the dance academy. Um, yeah. You now had a setback in the pursuit of your dreams to become a theatrical arts professional. So you decided you were going to take a trip with your cousin. Yeah, we actually already planned the trip. Okay. It was before everything happened, we planned that trip. We wanted to do that for years. And at one point, we both had the money and we decided to go. But the trip, uh, yeah, after that, um, it still was amazing, but there were a lot of emotion that were coming with me on that trip. Okay. So let's talk about the trip and why you went on the trip. Now, you were feeling really sick. And uh, you were so sick that you had to choose your health over getting the diploma at the dance academy. Yet you went on a long backpacking trip. Why would you do that? Well, I, yeah, I, th I think I went on it because I, first of all, I really wanted to see the world. And it was on my list for years and I just, I wanted to do it. And second, yeah, I didn't know what was going on. So the years after that, I just pushed through because I, I couldn't say I was sick because I didn't know what was going on really, as I already said, but I think there was so much insecurity about everything that I just kept pushing because I couldn't say what was happening. So what happened with your health during that three week trip that you took? On the trip, we, um, yeah, I was a little bit more tired here and there, but we could plan that out that we had some more downtime and everything because we had everything to ourselves. We only booked the first hotel when we were arriving and the rest was just up to us. So we could do anything we wanted. Maren, at this point, did you ever go to a doctor while you were not feeling well at Dance Academy or even between Dance Academy and now this trip? Yeah, I went to the doctors. They took my blood. Um, they didn't see anything yet. The kissing disease. So we're working with that. But uh, after a point, we were traveling to London for the academy. And at that point, I had a viral infection. I had bacteria in me. I had just a flu. I was, I was incredibly sick on the trip. And at that point, I was like, okay, something, is, something else is going on but they couldn't find anything. They were still drawing my blood. They were thinking I maybe had a depression or anything because I was a little like tired and down, but I knew something else was going on. I knew I wasn't depressed. Now there's anything wrong with that, but I knew I wasn't. So at first they thought it was mono or the kissing disease. And then when it progressed beyond that, they said it was just, you were depressed. Yeah. And, and you knew it wasn't. So you yeah, continued. Exactly to push for a diagnosis, but continue to live your life despite not knowing what was the root cause, right? Yeah, exactly. So can you walk us through as, as you were now, you know, on your trip, how your symptoms progressed and what you did next? Well, on my trip, 
I still was, I, at that point, I still was really tired all the time. And I remember I had the muscles, but I didn't have the brain fog really bad and everything yet. That was still, that there was like coming after the trip, that was something that was fading in. But I didn't realize it yet. Um, but at the trip, I remember we were going a night out. And I was starting to react really bad on alcohol, really bad. I was just, when I like drank a little bit, I was, I had black holes. I didn't remember everything. And then, and I was not a heavy drinker anymore at that point. I of course had my party time, but at that point I, I was responsible with it. And I remember that one night I, we were going back and I didn't drink that much. We had the party and everything and everything was spinning. I didn't even remember how I went to bed. My cousin was still with me, so she checked on me. But the day after, I was feeling so bad. I was just crying the whole time. My head was spinning. It was pounding. My muscles. And uh, no, that, that was, I couldn't eat. I, I couldn't do anything. I, uh, that, was, that was insane. I got really sick. And later on the trip, when this was resolved, I um, got food poisoning. And I was a little dried out. They had water there that uh, didn't have the minerals in there, in there, in there, sorry. <laughs> um, and then you were actually drying out. So I had food poisoning. I was drying out. And at one point, that was getting really bad. I actually had food poisoning this week. It wasn't fun. Um, yeah, I don't know what happened. <laughs> and um, then after... When this was resolved, yeah, I think there were a lot of moments, but I, I feel I blocked those out a little bit. And after, yeah, when I went diving, it got a little bit bad as well. So you knew, you knew things were getting worse. You were on your trip. You had a, a very severe alcohol reaction that you normally wouldn't have when you were younger. And more and more symptoms yeah. developed. So when you got back from your trip, did you follow up with a doctor to see why these symptoms were getting worse and, and advancing? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think I got back. I went on the interview for the job and I started working my butt off. Yeah. And, and I, I just, yeah. Martin, can you talk to us more about when you went diving? You mentioned you, you went diving on your trip and your symptoms got worse. So what exactly got worse when you went diving? Well, that's where the... Um, well, the emotions, uh, the emotions and the anxiety kicked in. I went diving and when I was younger, I was always in the pool with my goggles and I was always underwater. So it was actually my idea to go diving. And, but we were doing the instructions, we're going on for a paddy. And I, at one point, I just got a panic attack in underwater. And... I want to go up and he was like, no, take it easy, take it easy, it's gonna be fine. And I was like, no, no, I wanna get up. At one point I, I wanna float up and he pushes me back in the water because obviously it's very dangerous to go up too fast. And I remember that was just, now I, the only thing I was doing was crying and it was, I, I was saving again for my feelings. So all those emotions, were coming out and the anxiety was kicking in and that was really about diving and I still to this day I have to do something about my fear that's becoming for water because after the diving it's never been the same. 
And that was unusual for you. You mentioned that you were always in the water, you swam, and this was not something that you would expect to make you anxious, yet you developed this anxiety over this incident, correct? Yeah, exactly. So now you, you get back from your trip, you are applying for your job, you get the job and you start working your butt off. So walk us through what happens next. And, I, and I'm fearful because I think we know what happens next based on you overworking yourself, but how do your symptoms yeah. <laughs> continue to get even more worse now at this point? I really still didn't know what was going on. So my focus wasn't particularly on my health. I knew something was going wrong, but I still didn't know what was going wrong. So at one point I was just burying myself in work and I did that for almost two years. But already through all those years, I, well, all the other symptoms were kicking in. So the brain fog, the headaches, the heart palpitations, the muscles, uh, yeah, everything. Martin, do you think <laughs> that you were just ignoring your symptoms because you didn't want to recognize that you were sick and continue just focusing on your work while you really had a developing health condition that you didn't want to put your attention on? Yes, I was. I know for sure I was. I was trying to run away, I think. So I was burying myself in work. And there were also periods in the time that I was actually feeling better. So I was like, oh, it's settling. It's going well. So then I just wanted to live a little. But there were also moments of... Banana, I'm sorry. There were also moments it was obviously going worse. And I think it just slipped in, really. I, I was just going, 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 going. I always have been like that. I was just going, going, going. And at one point, you just, you're done. So I think, yeah, I think that was really what was going on. I, I still didn't know what, what I was having. So, yeah, I think, I was, yeah, I was running away. Madan, let's put this into perspective regarding time. You first got sick when you were 19 towards the end yeah. of Dance Academy, and then you continued on with your life. So where are we right now? How old are you at this point when you're working and run, running yourself ragged? Um, let's see. I was 19, and then back then I was 21. 21. Okay. Yeah. So... Walk us through what happened next from the time you were 21 up until the time you were 23 when you finally got your Lyme disease diagnosis. Ooh, um, yeah. Yeah, I kept working a lot. <laughs> I made a 12 hour days sometimes, but I enjoyed it because I, yeah, I sometimes enjoyed it because I was meeting people from all around the world. They were telling me stories. I really want to travel. Um, so at one point in 2017, I actually did a course for journalism that was a few weeks long and I completed that. And after that, the urge to travel was still going on and I was feeling, I was right at that point, I was still in a moment that it was feeling, going a little bit better for me. So I've decided uh, after talking to guests in the restaurant who traveled alone a lot, my colleagues, my friends, I've decided to do something I thought I would never do. And I decided I was going to travel alone for four months in 2018. And I did. So the thought of traveling when you're 
your symptoms are getting worse and you're getting more and more sick. Did this, did this trip just put you over the edge as far as your health was concerned? Uh, at first, um, it made it better because I was less stressed. I was relaxed. I could do whatever I wanted. I was meeting people. It was feeding my energy. Uh, I started in uh, Bali in Indonesia. So the food was very healthy there. It's a lot of vegan, a lot of fruits, vegetables, and they grow it there. So there's nothing processed there. And so it was going better. But there were, during the trip, also a lot of points where there were a lot of motions. Uh, I was extremely tired. The brain fog kicked in. Um, yeah, everything we know about Lyme was kicking in. So, yeah, there were some points that I was very happy that my stuff didn't get stolen or there were no dangerous uh, situations at that point. <laughs> yeah. Modern team. Can you give us an example of what brain fog was like for you when, when it first hit you? And maybe, you know, an example of, of, of a specific situation where it occurred? Uh, I remember it occurred a lot at work, a lot. I could do the job on autopilot, so that was very handy for me. Um, for me, brain fog feels like, I always have a very hard time explaining it, but it feels like I'm not there. I move into the back of my body and I don't really, um, yeah, how do you say that? I don't really um, experience everything. It feels like you're asleep, but you're awake, if that makes sense. And I, I always get blurry eyes. I don't, I can't articulate really. Uh, the words are not coming out right. I say the wrong words. Uh, I can't control my muscles most of the time. And I get, just get really clumsy. And I think I get a little, I don't want to say anyone with brain fog is dumb, but I felt dumb. I couldn't understand anything. I couldn't get the information in. I, I just, I really didn't understand what was happening. I was, I, I was going on autopilot most of the time. Martin, that's, that's very common. We've had many other podcast guests say that they didn't even want to see people that they've known their whole lives when they got Lyme because they were embarrassed yeah. about their brain fog and they felt like they were a different person. So that's very common, unfortunately. And the fact that you feel like you're sort of an outsider watching yourself function, and we've had a really great guest in the past describe that, and, and there's a term for that we've learned recently called depersonalization, where you're sort of it's an out of body experience almost where you're watching yourself and you feel like you're not in control and what you want to say can't come out of your mouth. And that is super common with people with Lyme yet it's not talked about enough. So we thank you for sharing that with, with everybody who's listening right now. No, of course. I, I also don't think it's talked about enough and I didn't talk about it a lot. I, even to my parents, I always told them I was going, okay, but I was, I wasn't there. I, I, I think, since 2016, the, the half of my life, I didn't experience, really. So walk us through more of this trip now. You went on this, I think you said it was a four-month trip, and it started off pretty well, yeah. but then you started to get the brain fog and, and now the, 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 the muscle problems. How did your muscle pain and lack of muscle use progress as the trip went on? Who? Um, yeah. I remember, of course, you have the backpack on, but I tried to carry it as less, as little as I uh, had to. 
But um, at a certain point, I actually climbed a few volcanoes. I never thought I would make it to the top, but I did. Um, I climbed three, and at the after the last one, well, the last one was the highest one in Serenyani in Lombok in uh, Indonesia. I did that with a um, Swedish guy I met, and it was um, I was already not feeling well. I injured my second knee and I had my first knee, uh, knee injury as well. <laughs> and I already decided for myself, okay, I will do the half of the climb. I just want to experience it. Uh, if it's not going well, uh, I will just stop. Uh, but then we were at the camp and I could see um, the top. And I was like, I really, really want to get there. I, I think I have it in me. Well, I didn't think I have it in me at that point, but I just wanted to. And I did. Um, but after that, I couldn't walk anymore. It was, oh my God. <laughs> I, was, I, I did that and I'm still extremely proud of myself, but I wouldn't recommend. It was extremely dangerous. Don't do it if you're brain fogged. Don't do it if you're, you can't control your muscles. And I'm really happy that nothing happened. And I'm really proud of myself that I actually made it to the top, but um, I wouldn't recommend doing it if you're not healthy. So, um, yeah, I, I think I'm, I just pushed through again. Martin, this is now <laughs> coming to the end of a four-year window where you were developing symptoms before your Lyme diagnosis. And it sounds like you didn't see any more doctors because you just sort of accepted the fact that they're just going to tell you it's depression and just try to continue to live your life. So, did at any point you ever just accept the fact that maybe this is depression and maybe I need to just fight through it and, and not think it was really a physical condition that you had? No, I never thought of a depression. I, I maybe should have mentioned I still went to the doctors. Um, in those years, I went to a, to, so I went to a dietitian. I just saw my regular doctor. He was telling me it was all in my head. Uh, they did the blood work again. They searched. Um, how do I say it? Um, my bowel movements and everything. If something was going on there, uh, they checked my heart. Um, I actually had a bad eye infection through those years as well. Um, so I was still going through uh, with the doctors, but at one point I just made a stop to it because nothing was coming out. They were just saying to me, I was crazy. And I thought maybe everybody feels like this. And then at one point, um, I think it was actually after my trip, I realized if everybody has to live like this, there's no way of living. It's not living. So then um, I actually had a fall back again. And then at a certain point, I got in touch with my ex-boyfriend and he told me about the treatment he did. So let's talk a little bit more about that, Martin. So your ex-boyfriend actually had Lyme disease. And did you know at the time yeah. you were dating him that he had Lyme disease? I knew I, he had it. So, oh my God, banana. <laughs> banana, no, uh, okay. Yeah, but I, I knew he had it, but I thought it was resolved. So I still didn't know anything really about Lyme disease. I know he had it really bad. It was a very terrible experience for him. He was way younger back then. But um, no, he was better, to say it like that. He so felt he was, he was better. 
he was very sick, but he, he got into remission where he was symptom-free, potentially. Now, do you think that there was a chance that either you infected him or he infected you? Yes. Yeah. And, and yeah. Of, co of course, you'll never be able to know for sure, but do you, do you think that you infected him or he infected you? Which way do you think that went? I, I don't blame him. Let's say this as first. <laughs> but I, because we, don't, we didn't know. Um, but I think he infected me because he already had it. And I, well, maybe I've had it too. I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think it's the other way around. So now that you fast forward, you're at the end of your, your journey right before you, well, the end of your journey before you get diagnosed and you reach out to your ex-boyfriend to see if he can guide you medically because you're feeling worse. And he then probably recommends a doctor who helped him with his Lyme disease, right? Well, we actually didn't speak for, um, when we broke up, I think we didn't speak for about four years back then. And then, you know, LinkedIn, I accidentally pushed the button and invited him to be my LinkedIn friend. And then he sent me a message. <laughs> so it actually went like that. And he just asked me how I was doing. And I told him, I, I first thought, okay, I just tell him I'm okay. I didn't even think about the Lyme disease back then. And then he told me a very long story about how it was going with him. He got a reinfection with Lyme and where he went and his whole family has Lyme disease. So his sister is also struggling a lot with her health and still, uh, but they all went to her and it helped them. And um, then I told him about my health situation that was actually going pretty bad and he told me, yo, maybe you want to go to her and just see if she can do anything for you. So that's how it worked out. Mata, just for those listening here in the States, uh, to understand how it is in, in the Netherlands there with, with Lyme disease. So your ex-boyfriend had Lyme and his entire family had Lyme and then you got Lyme. So is Lyme yeah. common in the Netherlands or is it something like it is here in the States where it's very common but not very widely accepted? It's like in, like in the States. It's common but it's not highly accepted and I don't think a lot of people know they have it so it's, it still needs a lot of awareness. And you mentioned that your, your ex-boyfriend got reinfected Is it, so did he have an, a, another tick bite where he got reinfected or did he just start to develop symptoms again? Ooh, I can't answer that one for sure. I, I don't I'm not sure about that answer no. Okay so now let's talk about so after having this discussion, which thankfully you did accidentally connect with him on LinkedIn and you got to talking, he yeah. recommends his family doctor. What was it like when you went to see his family doctor who was Lyme literate, it sounds like? Well, it, was, it wasn't his family doctor. She is a specialist, but they actually already saw, I think about, about 70 people to help them. They couldn't, and then they went, then they went to her and she could help them. She could uh, detect what was happening. And then she did the light therapy on um, moving on. Yeah, it's so hard to explain. But she can, if she explains it, it's so easy. But if I do, it sounds, I don't know, <laughs> it sounds horrible. So but, <laughs> but but Mata, really... from your perspective, walk us through what it was like, because we understand that a lot of these Lyme treatments, especially in the holistic and natural world, they're super effective, but they're hard to explain what they really do. So what was it like yeah. from your perspective going to this Lyme specialist and getting, let's talk about the, the testing first. What was it like to get tested for Lyme by this Lyme literate doctor from your perspective? Um, 
Well, um, everybody surrounding me was quite nervous. My parents and my aunt. My first trip, my aunt and my uncle were coming with me because my mom and dad both had to work and it was quite a drive. It was all up in the Netherlands and where, from where they live, it's a three hour drive. And that's the first time I saw her, I, I, I already, I had a feeling. I, my feeling was I had it. So I was in shock when she told me I had Lyme. I still hoped, of course, it wasn't true. But when she um, said it to me, I was like, okay, I was right. That was for me, it was just um, like, oh my God, okay, thank you. So when, um, she, when, she, Madden, when she told you that you had Lyme, was that just based on you explaining your symptoms or was that after a test she did to identify that you had Lyme? Um, well, she has a symptoms list on her website and I read through that one. And I was like, oh my God, I have more than half of these symptoms. And there were like 50, she had stated out. And I almost recognized everything. And I was like, okay, I, I think I have to prepare myself that I have Lyme. And then you had to fill out a form with all the symptoms you were having. And if you were having any medication or anything like that. And then she does the, um, the treatment. And then she could see if I had Lyme or not. So walk us through what that was like where she saw if you had Lyme or not. So you go, to, you go to this doctor and she does this procedure to determine if you have Lyme or not. So what was that like? Did she, was it bioresonance? Did she make you hold, um, hold magnets? What was that like for you to get that procedure done? Um, I was quite nervous, <laughs> I have to say. I didn't know anything about it, only what my ex told me. And I knew it helped them, so I was quite opt optimistic. She was very sweet as well, so that helped. Um, no, I was holding, uh, I had to do all my socks and my shoes out and my uh, hands out. And then she put in magnets that were up, yeah, they were charged to a machine. And then she had to install the machine in certain ways, if I remember correctly, because I was quite brain fogged out, I remember. <laughs> and after that, I was extremely tired. Um, yeah, and then she, she told me what she was going to do and what she was finding. And uh, the machine made a lot of uh, beats and everything. And she obviously knew what was happening with that. I did it. Um, yeah, and through all those things, she um, could see that I had Lyme disease, but also the Epstein-Barr virus and uh, yeah, different few blockages in my uh, body. So Martin, this sounds like we've, we've had this described by other guests as well. Is, is this bioresonance, does that ring a bell? Is this using bioresonance testing to identify certain parts of your body that are weaker than others to identify what treatment then to proceed with to treat the Lyme disease? Does that sound about right? Sounds about right. Yes, you can really uh, see what was going on in your organs and your the rest of your body, what was weakened, what was not, and yeah, I think you are saying that right. So now, now that she identified what parts of your body are weak and what treatment you need based on your personal customized assessment, what was the treatment protocol that she prescribed you moving forward? Um, it was with the same um, equipment. 
and I had to come back a week later because she already did some treatment for some organs or just to give them a push and um, all your organs are connected. Don't quote me on that, but she told me. Uh, on, uh, connected with your fingertops. So they all like go through there. So that's where she checks a lot. Um, so she did um, yeah, a few treatments for that and to just, well, get the flow going, to say it like that. And that week already, I was extremely tired. I had to drink a lot, she told me. Um, so it was already going downhill. But I know, yeah, I remember when I was going there, I was at the end of my seat. I was so, I was, I was done. So it couldn't have been in a better time that I knew what was going on. And then a the week later, you, I was going back for the Lyme disease treatment because doing that the same day was way too heavy on my body. And yeah, she did it with the same equipment. And I, I really, I, I can't remember really what she was doing because I was, I was quite sick back then. Modern, she, she, yeah. Was, were, ma were magnets used in this treatment as well? So it was a combination of magnets and you were hooked up to this machine and it was different parts of the body and, and your fingertips you mentioned. So that, is that sort of what was involved in this treatment? Yeah, and your feet at one point, <laughs> but yeah. So walk us through what it was like when you got this treatment, because you know, for us, you know, we know it as bioresonance. It sounded so weird the first time we heard it, but you're, you are not the first, you are one of many guests who have had this type of treatment and it's worked for many and for some others it did not work. So. Walk us through what it was like. How did it feel for you when you got the treatment and then when you left the first day that you received the treatment? Ooh, when I left, I, when I was having the treatment, I could feel things moving in my body. I, I, I felt like a kind of energy and something was happening. That's what was, that is what I was feeling. And... Um, yeah, after I remember just being extremely tired. Yeah. And did you, did you go back every day for this treatment? How did, what was the duration? Was it every day, once a week? No, it was actually two times. So uh, the first one, and then we did a part of the treatment already. And the second time we did the Lyme treatment. And then after that, uh, I had to drink a lot of water, I had to take my rest, and the body was going to handle the rest, to say it like that. She um activated to go healing if I, so, I say that correctly so this was strengthening and sort of refocusing your body to heal itself to kill off whatever was making you sick and to make you healthy again by sort of realigning your body to come back into a healthy state is that correct yeah you say better than me <laughs> So walk us through after the second treatment it sounds like it was going to take some time for your body to start to heal itself how did you feel in the short term within the first week after your second treatment and then in the long term, you know, weeks to months after that second treatment? Well, um, in a few weeks after the treatment, uh, it was still the same way as after the treatment, the, like the first day. I was extremely tired. I almost couldn't lift my arms up. Uh, I had to drink a lot of water. Uh, just, go, just going really bad. I was just laying in bed and I was like the kind of tired that the day was moving by, which you didn't really notice. So I couldn't do a lot. I didn't want to 
talk to a lot of people because I was I was just too tired. Like at that point, I also couldn't have a conversation with anyone because I the brain fog kicked in like in the first seconds of the the word. So yeah, no, it was, and I I started um, actually a few weeks earlier. I thought it was going better, so I decided to start a new education for a year. But a few weeks in, I uh, had to cancel it out because of all of this. And now let's put this in perspective to what you were doing with your career at this point. Were you still working or did you have to stop working to now go and, and work on your health at this point? Um, before the treatment, I was starting a new education and I was like uh, two days a week school and um, yeah, a few hours of that you had to do homework. And I was also working 30 hours a week. So I was quite busy. And then after the treatment, everything fell away. And I have been sick at work uh, for that period of time ever since. So after, after this, these two days of treatment with this Lyme doctor that your, your ex-boyfriend told you about, you got, really, you got really even more sick afterwards while your body was working on healing itself. Did you start to feel better in the long term? Or was this a continuation of just feeling worse and worse and worse after the treatment? So I guess what we're asking is, do you think the treatment was effective for you? I think the treatment was effective because, um, but I think everything that was pushed down was coming alive to say it like that. So I think everything was activated and that's why it was getting worse. And um, she also told me that uh, for certain people after three months, they were fine. Some people had to do six months, some had to do a year. It was really up to your body and how sick your body was and what the damage in your body was. So I still feel it helped kickstart everything, but I think uh, Anthony William, the medical medium, uh, everything he wrote in his books and um, his advice helped me, well, get better. Mada, then, before, we get, before we get to the medical medium, you got this treatment and diagnosis when you were 23, about two years ago, right? Yeah. How long did you go after the treatment and not feeling well while your body was basically healing itself before you found the medical medium? Um, I think until December, so about two months. And I think I was getting into actually reading in medical, so in medical medium um, in January, February, that next year. So I think about four months around it, that time. It sounds like from our perspective that you were experiencing a herx or your body was just overwhelmed from the treatment that you were getting. And the medical medium and what you learned from him allowed you to properly detox or eliminate the waste that was a result of the treatment. Is that, is that something that you agree with? Yeah, I do agree with that. Yeah. It's also the treatment um, focused on getting the waste out. But I for sure think medical medium helped uh, speed on that process because I think there was a lot of ways. So Martin, walk us through what you did based on your study of the medical medium. What type of diet changes you did and other things you did to work on detoxing and eliminating these toxins and cleaning your body? 
Um, well, I started with a book. I actually knew about, I already saw it one time, uh, but I didn't uh, order it, but I thought it was interesting. And then actually, again, my ex-boyfriend, <laughs> he uh, read the book and he was like, no, you should read it. It's really interesting. Um, and I think you, you're going to like it. Uh, but back then I still had the blurry eyes. I had a lot of brain fog. I think I had brain fog 24 seven. So it was really hard for me to get the knowledge in. And his books, um, well, it's quite easy to read, but it's a lot of information. So when I started reading everything, um, it was actually quite nice because he was just, everything you, you're all feeling and you think you're crazy is in the book. So that's amazing. And then he uh, writes about, uh, he also has, um, certain people in there that already succeeded and got their lives back so that gives you hope and then he tells you about the foods and the supplements and what you shouldn't eat because it's harming your body and um, at one point I just started fading it into my diet it took me quite a while to do it fully full on um, but yeah um, and I also came in a, a Facebook group with people that also were doing the diet. So a lot of information was coming from them and it was making it a little bit more clear because in the, at first I felt really, really overwhelmed with all the information I was getting because I didn't really know uh, what to do with it. It was a lot. <laughs> so it sounds like you've been following the medical medium practices now for about a year and a half and this was post treatment and you know, looking at you now, you've, you, you're an inspiration to many people's lives. So walk us through from when you were feeling so bad and how you started to feel better once you started learning his practices to get to the point where you are today, because you certainly don't have brain fog today. You certainly are very clear today. And we want to learn that transition from the massive herxing and, and, you know, sort of having all these toxins in your body to now getting to the point where you are in this clear state you see now. Um, well, I think um, when it really started getting better, because uh, at that point I was discovering medical medium, I was still also in my job, but I wasn't working. I was on a leave. But at one point you want to start working again and trying. And I think I started really, really trying. Um, well, the first time was actually mid-December. Was, that was a very bad choice because I got really, really sick after that. And I was sick, I think for a full month. And after that, I, when I got better, um, then medical medium came and I was trying to start going back to work. And I was actually already doing more than I could. And at that point I still had the brain fog. I still had every symptom. I wasn't going, that much better but I was starting to do all the supplements and well trying to do what he was uh, writing about and I think um, when I went fully in the medical medium uh, diet I was last August when I was on a holiday with my mom I was already doing the heavy metal detox smoothie but I wasn't doing the celery juice yet I didn't do the cilantro in my smoothie because I hate those both a lot. Now, back in February, when I was starting Medical Medium, 
um, when I started reading the books and getting the information in, I also was trying to go back to work, but wasn't really going well. Uh, but I was uh, starting supplements and I first I started just doing all the supplements and I was fading out the no foods, but I didn't do it uh, fully yet. And I wasn't vegan back then. And I know it was also very heavy on my body because um, after the first treatment and I was going full on supplements and um, was also everything is, was also designed to get the best stuff out. And at that same point, I was trying to go back to work. So my body was just overloaded again. Uh, but also, I still didn't really know what I was doing. I was trying to figure it out, but you are sick and you want to get better and you have your work that wants you to come back and you have people surrounding you telling you what you should do and it was very overwhelming that's what i remember the most but back in august when i was on a holiday it was, it was july august uh i was on a holiday with my mom and i was actually going on a holiday to relax a little to do the last part of going fully back to work. That was the plan. But then I got a notice that I actually um, lost my job on the holiday and my manager, nobody told me anything about it. So I was trying to call them and um, they told me, oh, we don't know anything about it. Uh, let me come back to you. And then the manager ignored me for like one week and a half. So that holiday already was so much stress that um yeah i was just going backwards again and i had to work there for the last month and that last month was yeah that was insane for my body i was just going well where i started so i think i was i i actually don't remember a lot of that month because i was so brain fucked out yeah i'm coming to a point i'm sorry <laughs> um but after that, so actually my downfall, let's call it that, um, um, then I was trying to climb back up. And after that, I have been focusing fully on healing, on medical medium. I went vegan. I started doing the celery juice, highly recommended. Um, back in January, I saved up for a juicer, a really good one. And then... Yeah, since then, it's starting to get better, finally, after all those uh, years. So it's really, um, after when the worst way it could possibly go, or be, um, after that, I found my way to actually go fully in, start healing. I got the time to do it, and then I was climbing up. So it's actually quite recently. So now this sort of brings us up to the present date and you sound great. You look great. We know that you're still healing and you, you want to Thank progress you. even further, but give us an assessment of how you're feeling today. Um, well, this week I got food poisoning, so I'm still a little weak. <laughs> That's Wednesday night. I don't know what happened, but uh, it was going really bad. But before I got food poisoning, um, yeah, I'm more clear in my mind. The brain fog is less. The air buzzing is less. Um, right now I have it a little, but I, I think it's because my body is just healing from the food poisoning. Uh, my heart palpitations are gone. 
uh, I found a way to relax my muscles. Um, yeah, and I, I'm just, I, I just feel everything that I'm doing with uh, Anthony William, uh, he calls himself the medical comedian. Everything is natural. Everything that goes in my mouth will help my body heal. And that's just an amazing feeling to have. Um, I'm in control. I feel I'm more in control now. I understand more what is going on. I know I still have a long road ahead of me, but I, I feel a little spark of hope since I um, moved, actually, because I had a very busy week moving, uh, I think, first week of June. And I was quite nervous. I thought, oh, I'm never going to make that happen. We had to carry a lot of heavy stuff up to two stairs. I had to paint. I made a very, very long days. And it was, I actually did it. And I felt okay. My muscles were okay. My brain fog was okay. So, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling, actually, the last few weeks, I'm feeling better, more energized. I still have my bad days, of course. But I, I feel a little spark of hope to think about the future. And I didn't do that for forever. So, Madden, why don't you now share with us the parts of your journey that you consider to be beautiful and the parts of the journey that have changed you in a way that you do not believe you would have developed had you not gone on a Lyme disease journey? Um, well, it changed me for a full 100%. I am not the same person I was back then. And I'm... I'm I think I'm the most thankful for my personal growth. I um, I got to know myself in a different way. I got to uh, go through my traumas. I'm still going through them, but I actually um, feel okay going. I I really want to help. Uh, banana, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, no, but I um, really want to go through my traumas now. I want to heal. I want to focus on that. I. Uh, feel way more gratitude for life, uh, for the people surrounding me that are still here. And I think I found what I want to do in life. And um, yeah, everything surrounded, everything changed. And I'm, I, I can, you're so much more grateful for the good days. And normally you were just going, going on the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And now if you actually have a good day, you're, you feel so blessed and, thankful that you actually could experience this moment for the first time in forever and you just could enjoy yourself and not worry about everything that was going on and I'm working on a project for the future and um, I would never come up with this project if I didn't have Lyme disease so I'm really thankful and I yeah I hope I can maybe also help some people that are feeling extremely alone and that there's a, there is a way out. It's a long way. It's a hard way. But uh, I believe you're still limitless, even with this limit you have to live with. I think you're still able to do everything you're dreaming of. You're capable of so much more, but you, you need to um, believe it yourself and you need to get there at a certain point. And I wasn't there for a long time, so don't blame yourself on that. But, um, yeah, I think I, I, I still want to do what I wanted to do with the Dance Academy, but in a different setting. So now talk to us about the last question we ask all of our guests, which is, if God forbid, right after this podcast, your mother came into your room and showed you that she was bitten by a tick, 
what would you recommend that she do so she doesn't have to go on the terrible journey you've had to go on with Lyme disease? I would remove the tick. I always have something with me to remove a tick. Always. Uh, I would send it in and I would push her on the medical medium diet, like right away to get a head start. And I would just, yeah, I, would, I really hope uh, less and less people have to go on this journey because I don't wish to up upon anyone. I really don't. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Marin Lotte van Merienboer. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Marin and her Lyme disease journey, please visit our Instagram page at Marin Lotte, M-A-R-E-N-L-O-T-T-E. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we'd appreciate any input or improvements you would like to suggest. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us a review on iTunes or on our website. Thank you for listening.